Hey everyone, Sam here. Before we get into this episode of Corporate Lunch with designer Emily Adams Bodie, we want to acknowledge something that is not mentioned in the episode the Black Lives Matter and anti police brutality protests that have swept America and the world. This episode was posted on June 5th, but recorded over a week earlier. In the days after recording, GQ's coverage shifted to reflect the gravity of the moment. On GQ.com, we've been illuminating what has happened in the wake of the George Floyd killing, disseminating resources for protesters and people trying to learn more about the movement, and unpacking how the fashion industry has responded to this unprecedented cry for change. We'll be refocusing corporate lunch similarly in the coming weeks. We recognize that a podcast about clothes feels, frankly, totally frivolous in a moment like this, and we're sorry that this preface wasn't added to the episode when it went live. With that, here's episode 96. I know, first episode with no Noah in, uh, in all 95 episodes. Uh, Noah is doing Noah's a solo vacation. canoe trip uh, through the Andes. A and D E S. And Sam is doing pod patricide, and he's the host this week. <laughs> Noah might not actually ever come back. It might just be me from here on out. Hamlet lunch. So we have a uh, we have Emily Bodie coming. Sam, out this I'm week. a little disappointed that you're not wearing any Bodie. This is like surprising and shocking. Is that because is that specifically because Emily is on the pod? Well, part of the reason is I try not to wear the uh, the band tee to the concert uh, as sort of a general policy. But if you you know, people might have noticed that I've also I've I've worn Bodhi for I think the last four or five podcasts in a row. So I just had to you had to give it a rest. I, I wore out. OC. I wore online ceramics for the online ceramics pod. I I respected that. You you wore a deep cut yeah. too. It was it was a Mickey Hart shirt. But when I was in Chicago for about eight weeks of quarantine with my folks, I didn't pack appropriately at all. And so I was just in like a, I was in like a John's desert. My closet was just completely desolate. <laughs> and so I bought, I bought there, a Bodhi overshirt, the, this like really heavy cotton khaki with little like charms and things sort of attached all over it. Uh, and I wore that thing like every day. I just needed like some... I just needed something. I needed like a little bit of heat in my life. Talisman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of heat. Did you did you uh, turn to the internet to deliver you somebody or did you go source somebody on the ground in Chicago? I, I, I turned to the internet. Um, you turned to the, I did. the old internet. Yes. Um, a friend who's I, always there. Bodie's got to have a stockist in Chicago, right? Not that they were open in that moment. But. I think they do. I think they might be at, at Notra. It's a great little Chicago boutique. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Did things really turn around for you when you got when you got just that one job? Oh, absolutely, yeah. John and Core. Some people were like, "Man, I really need toilet paper." Other people were like, "Ugh, like my favorite restaurant's finally delivering." Thank God. I was like, "All right, I got this. I got the joint. I'm good. You know, I can I can ride this I out as like long the- as you know. I don't miss my friends. I miss my clothes. <laughs> like, come on." I feel like this episode of Corporate Lunch so far is. Um, 23% funnier, about 18% calmer, and about 96% better um, without Noah. Wow, the trolling, the trolling is real. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, feel, I just feel at ease, you know? I just feel at ease. Someone did actually recently DM me and say uh, that we have the most soothing pod voices. 
of any the pod they listen crew? to. Yeah. Amazing. Should yeah. we uh, should we really lean into that? <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam, what's been going on John wise since you uh, decamped to Shelter Island? Well, I made a stop in Brooklyn uh, at my apartment to reload, uh, reload the suitcases, gas up, gas up my Ramoas with, uh, <laughs> with clothes, <laughs> and uh, I wheeled them out here. Um, so it's been oh, on it's your been, wagon, like, in, like a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I lashed them all to the top of a, you know, or like the hobo with the sticks, kind of <laughs> that cartoon. I was like a duck and all much. the Ramoas were like my little ducklings following me. Um, <laughs> all different sizes of materials. It's been just a beautiful getaway with all my, with all my clothes. With all your best yeah, friends. It's just me and the did you actually take? Did you actually take a bunch of Bodhi off before sitting down to conduct this podcast? Oh, of course, yeah, I had to give it a rest. <laughs> I just assume you wake up, layer on a bunch of Bodhi, and then you know around lunchtime as you were having a sandwich, you realize that you had the Emily Bodie pod, and so you had to like shed those mm-hmm. layers to not wear the band shirt to the concert. The real problem is that my grandmother has a lot of really beautiful old quilts that around. There's one that's like framed <laughs> in, in her house, and then there's like a bunch, you know, there's like one on my bed, there's like a couple in a closet. And when I look at them, I literally just see like jackets and pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I, I mean, I'm just waiting to just. Roll those things up and and put them in a in a UPS box and uh, send them to wherever Emily UPS has been uh, quarantining. A UPS box. I feel like Emily can send um, a little team of of Bodhi crew out to you um, and make it all happen right there on the spot. I would love that. A little bespoke quilt jacket fitting, some sort fairly heir, family heirloom yeah. style. Mm-hmm. Rachel, what's this, what's the state the state of your John life? You know what I did the other day, actually? Tell me. I I patsed. I are patsed. I took a, I put on a sweatsuit and then I tied scarves around all my lips. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. I actually, um, I actually did the the Brad Pitt little uh, belly bow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're all all, like, you know, choosing our favorite styling moves from gq and breaking you have to them choose out your own adventure of of uh styling are ideas. you are you do you are you rocking a pit twist right now we just can't see it because you're sitting down yeah nice of course amazing it's just out of my uh just out of my zoom crop mm-hmm. that's the nice thing about the zoom crop you know like you don't have to wear pants and you can do the pit twist absolutely um Rachel, were they Hermes scarves around all all major oh, yeah. joints? Yeah, three Hermes <laughs> and then one Ferragamo. <laughs> and all three Hermes were by that one um, Texan Hermes artist. I don't have <laughs> a Kermit Oliver, but Kermit, Kermit Oliver, Oliver is like, yeah. I mean, greatest name of all time, but has like a larger cult following than like any band that any of us likes probably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a moment on that episode of Corporate Lunch where I kind of came to like, and was like, oh my God, we're talking about Kermit Oliver, like he's Garth Brooks, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, like household name, like greatest hits artist, Kermit Oliver. Yeah, Brad Pitt or Brad Bradley Cooper's like next movie is a Kermit Oliver <laughs> biopic. <laughs> <laughs> like, ooh. That Hermes scarf isn't even Kermit Oliver. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, that was made by like a French artist. Wasn't even Sam, did you Texas. did you end up getting a Kermit Oliver? Uh, I'm still I'm still like circling one on uh, online. It's <laughs> it's in this like weird. I think it's a Dutch little like like secondhand Hermes scarf store um, on mm -hmm. eBay. You better hope there aren't any Dutch corporate lunch listeners. I know. I'm gonna edit. I'm gonna just bleep alert, the whole. Alerted them to a to a Kermit Oliver. Well, luckily, yeah. I still edit the podcast, so I get to edit that out to save my secret. <laughs> I see. I didn't know you've been editing out all your John revelations. Oh, of course, there's just weird blank spaces <laughs> in the podcast if you listen back. And damn, Sam was really winding up to like drop some drop some real heat. And then yeah. it's just. It's like when the off. government releases a, a document that like, you know, and everything is like blacked out that you actually want to know. That's like when corporate people are listening to corporate lunch. They're like, oh, these are like the <laughs> Pentagon Papers yeah. of John. <laughs> it's like, beep. Yeah. <laughs> Scarf, beep. <laughs> Hand darn socks, beep. Just full redaction. You need like, you need tops. Grandmother's doily. <laughs> <laughs> you need top secret security clearance for that stuff. <laughs> well what is the that's the Patre patreon like unlocked version has the yeah <laughs> that's yeah. a good idea you got to pay for that shit that's actually a yeah. great idea uh well what is that shirt that you're wearing it's beautiful oh this is a um uh engineered garment shirt from maybe 10 years ago wow um and it gets really violent reactions in all directions so um, there is, we have a connection happening. What up? Emily. <laughs> okay, I got it. Oh, and she's there. <laughs> hey, Emily. <laughs> how are you? I never know how to do this. I don't know why. Um, also, someone just decided to pressure wash their driveway or something right now. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> You um, entered with a very, very dramatic pregnant pause. It was yeah. <laughs> yeah. showbiz, showbiz, podcast showbiz at its finest. Now, Emily, do you have do you have a green screen behind you, or are you actually in a greenhouse? I'm actually in the greenhouse. <laughs> this isn't a Zoom I background. Was, yeah. Are we on your website or in your greenhouse? <laughs> that would, we could live project it. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. What? Uh, Tell us where where you are and how you ended up there. So I'm I'm in British Columbia. I'm in uh, it's an island off of Vancouver. It's Vancouver Island. Uh, I'm in the town of Victoria, and we've been here since gosh uh, probably March 18th. So quite a while, uh, over two months. Was it a planned like month long? relocation or was it a, a mini vacation that became like an extended quarantine oh my gosh definitely not a vacation <laughs> i mean it it's, feels like that now because we're in such a beautiful part of the world but um when we left i packed a carry-on so i have like <laughs> no clothes with me um and we left we booked the ticket the same day and then ended up leaving the next morning because we couldn't I forget the reason but it was something like we couldn't get it or I don't know the plane but yeah so we <clears throat> we booked it and I had closed the store on the 13th so just a couple of days before and we closed pretty quickly we were I think one of the first to close um in 
at least our neighborhood, but it was becoming apparent that um, it was time to shut down. One of our employees had already been uh, at home for I think a week or two because his roommate had been in an office building where the whole floor above had gotten there or something like that. So we were just taking precautions. He ended up never actually testing positive, but um, we we wanted to close pretty quickly. Did you basically just like pack up all your operations? I mean, you didn't bring that much stuff, it sounds like, but... Um... No, so I didn't bring... Um, what we did is we quickly, we had each of our employees take home, which at the time is crazy, but they took home two weeks worth of work because we didn't really know. Yeah. Um, you know, we thought maybe a month or two weeks. So everyone took around two weeks worth of work home, knowing that they could probably come and get stuff or we could ship them things. And <clears throat> over the course, you know, over the past two months, we've had some employees stay in the city and continue working full time. And a lot of people actually went home to be with their families and their parents or, you know, their sister or whatever. So we have some people working from home in other states, but we also have people that are just, you know, taking time until uh, pretty much June 1st is when a lot of people are returning. I mean, I've been very impressed by how you've managed to basically pivot and not only just sort of like re relocate your base of operations in a way that felt very seamless, but you also, you know, like redid your website and shot everything in the beautiful greenhouse behind you and were able to launch, you know, a huge season of clothes um, in the middle of all this, which uh, feels like a pretty massive undertaking. But you managed to do it in a way that felt super, like, just extremely on brand, you know, in this place that like, really reflected I think the vibe of the collection oh thank you yeah I mean at the time so when we left I think we just assumed we were going to push spring out to launch quite later but our stores still wanted product or some of them some have shut down but <clears throat> we had you know um everything that we had planned to launch <laughs> the collection totally went out the window you know photo shoots we did and and photo shoots we were going to do and events and all these things. So, you know, at, at the time when I started this collection or, at, you know, even two months ago, our e-commerce made up, I want to say like six to 10% of our business. Um, and as of last week, we have matched our store. So it kind of, I guess pivoting is the right word. I mean, I hadn't ever put an emphasis on e-com because although I shop online sometimes it's just not a part of like who I am you know I, I just never felt that connected to it um, and it was I was more invested in an actual space so so I had been you know really invested in making a retail store you know ever since I started the brand and we were able to do that last November and the website kind of just fell to the wayside we put things up online but it was really hard to create a schedule, you know, with such a young team and such a s small brand um, on how we can have enough product to fill both the store and the website. And so when, you know, COVID happened, we took it as a chance to really invest in doing something online. And we worked with Eric Wren. He's an art director um, and he helped us conceive of the website. 
we wanted a space that felt just as much as a private space as our store online or that you really were like entering into something. So, you know, I had always wanted to make a greenhouse. The plan was to open a store in LA actually right now, <laughs> like actually this summer, um, that Green River project was going to build out as a greenhouse. And so we kind of just built it online instead for now. <laughs> in British Columbia, what is the space that you're currently in? So like what is, is the actual greenhouse and did, did you have a pre-existing connection to it? Yeah, so this is Aaron's family's greenhouse. Um, the house is from, I believe, 1920s, 1930s. And there's a lot of these little tiny buildings on the property, like a little pool house and a shed, a carpenter shed. We found that one of the old owners of the home, I think from the 80s, sent us pictures that she actually had an aviary here with hundreds of birds. So it's wow. a really cool property that over, you know, I think it's changed hands only a few times, a couple of families. People have really invested in making the space, uh, like the backyard space as part of their living space. So it's kind of, it's really beautiful in that way. And this greenhouse actually inspired our show, uh, gosh, what was it? Fall, winter 20, no, fall, winter 18, like my first show. Yeah, in New York, right? That was completely conceived by Aaron and Ben of Green River Project, and they designed a greenhouse. So it was kind of weird to, or serendipitous in a way, you know, to return back to this space that had inspired, you know, the Homer show. Is it a functioning greenhouse that like is, can people go there and pick yeah, up plants are, and stuff? Or? What plants do you have back there? Oh my God. Okay, <laughs> so I stuff. actually, we kind of, we started planting more. Uh, I definitely don't have a green thumb. I feel like I kill everything, but um, you know, we have been, oh, this is funny because all of my friends have been posting this, hold on, see, uh, you know, that they're growing all their onions. So then I did it and it actually is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of a m mix of plants that already existed in the backyard. We potted and then we're going to replant them. And then we also, you know, have some like peppers and things growing. Amazing that you ended up basically like sheltering at a place that already had such a deep connection to, to Bodhi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Aaron and I have been together for over 10 years off and on. So it's like... <laughs> We're so intertwined in that way um but it's funny realizing you know i've been here like 10 years ago of course i've been here since then but we have you know you have a built-in environment you know you have a built-in friend group and family here so it was really nice to be able to leave new york and i felt so privileged that we could leave new york you know a lot of my friends had to stay whether it was for work or you know a million other reasons but yeah, we're going to be here uh, at least a little bit longer. Can I go back to New York and, and live in your store? Well, it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? There's like 23 kids in there. Like, I would so enjoy that. Can I just sleep on the tennis couch in the back? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit... Was his name... Is his, is his name Eric Wren? Oh, yeah. Eric Wren. A little bit just about like who he is and how you work with an art director um, specifically on this project, but... How does that, what's that collaboration like? So Eric works with, oh gosh, he works with so many brands and he's actually 
the art director of art forum i want to say mm -hmm. um so he is pretty familiar he has a an in-house team of you know that helped build the website but he also i mean it's quite collaborative we worked it was myself aaron and him you know going back and forth on what it meant to visualize you know you click on a landing page what does it mean to like feel like you're in a space so that was a big part of it we also you know wanted our website to function <laughs> and i know i know that sounds trite but it's so many websites are like they don't it's hard to shop on them um there were a lot of maybe old sentiments like you know i i love shooting on a model i i originally when i first started Bodhi, I did flat shots because I thought it would be better for, you know, kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> you archive things as you sell them because you have these high res images, but it ended up taking so long. And that was something that we had to go back and forth on. You know, what does it mean to shoot something that isn't on a model? It's going to be, is it harder to sell? Is it easier to sell? You know, and I think it now has come down to categories. You know, shirts might be easier, but pants are harder. Uh, you know, and what does that look like online? And how many pictures do we need to put? As well as who's shooting it? And I ended up shooting the whole thing on my iPhone. <laughs> so it's kind of... You know, of course, some people are like, yeah, I can tell. But uh, <laughs> I, no, I but, think it, it wait, goes to I, show, like, people don't really care. Been, I thought that might have been the case, but I thought that it really worked and was cool and felt like a part of this moment. And and so I could tell, but I also thought it, like, made it even better. It was yeah. totally the, the right choice. It, just, and, it allowed people to feel a little bit connected to, like, what it was that you're buying. You know, you feel more... I. That's how I buy vintage, right? Like my dealers are like showing me things on hangers. So they're not putting it really on. And I think for some things, you know, you have to see it on the body. I, I totally understand that. That's why we do or have done runway shows. You know, it's really nice to see the movement of things. But for men's shirts and jacket, like certain products, it really lends itself to be shot on a hanger and flat shot because you can visualize it in your closet. You can visualize owning it. Um, and that's that's really exciting. You can visualize hanging it in your greenhouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, does does yeah. Aaron have a sample size cousin who can wear the pants? I know. Yeah, we we were like, <laughs> hmm, that neighbor who's like a <laughs> high school grad over there. Uh, no, I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But it's it is funny because you know people come to us first. I think for the shirts, and then they'll buy into the pants. You know for the whole look or whatever. But but now we do have, the most people who have shopped pants in the last two months though are just our returning customers who already have, mm. you know. So that's good. We have like quite a loyal customer base. This is a very pants focused podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most, most men emphasize shirts, but we're really trying to get them to embrace the possibilities of pants. Mm -hmm. Life outside of the Zoom box. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. why no one's there, buying pants. <laughs> there are no pants in quarantine. They're like, I just don't need pants right now. <laughs> like or I want the I craziest just have some, pants possible. Some bony shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like epaulets like... just for that. <laughs> uh what have you what have you been doing um outside of 
like creating a really beautiful, successful website in quarantine. Oh, thanks. Um, what have I been doing? Well, I'm not sure if you guys relate to this, but uh, time is moving at like a much different pace. And you would assume that time would be moving slower, but the days just totally disappear. And I think that part of that is because I'm on the West Coast. So by the time I get up, you know, I'm on my phone, texting, emailing, 8.30, 9.30 a.m. My employees, they're, they kind of are, or it feels like everyone's winding down by 2.30. So my day gets all kind of jumbled and feels like it ends really quickly. So what I've been doing, we've been going for walks, a lot of walks, uh, which is something that I have always wanted to do in New York. You know, I, I used to love doing that in college. I would walk to school, you know, and it would be like a couple of miles. And so that's something that we're definitely doing a little bit more of. I'm also keeping in touch with my friends and family, which has been kind of a lifesaver whenever I have a really, really low day. And it, and it feels wrong to have a low day because we're here and we're healthy and we're fine. Then, you know, I have to touch base with my family and, and it's, it's kind of, it's hard to be optimistic during this time, but it's important to at least have some sort of routine and some sort of structure. And that's allowed me to have a better rhythm, you know, workflow rhythm here and be able to work from home is to have, okay, I'm going to make my iced tea in the morning and, I, you know, <laughs> you create a little bit of a structure. But yeah, we've been looking at the ocean every day is, is definitely something that sticks out. Is there anything this, um, if uh, you don't, you by all means can just like uh, pass on this question or something like that, but is there something, um, is there like a Bodhi philosophy or something like that, that you connect to at times like this, where like all the cards are up in the air, like nobody knows what the hell is going on. We even have guilty feelings about being okay you know what I mean? It's like an extremely disorienting time. And yet I, uh, from where I sit, you've been able to like be incredibly flexible with um, a totally new and evolving set of conditions. And then also use the opportunity of being far away to basically like get yourself thinking in a very you kind of way about um, a platform that wasn't necessarily top of mind for you and to just kind of like do your Emily Bodhi, the person and Bodhi, the brand thing at like a really artful and hot and, and hot, but also like smartly considered on the logistical level, um, do all that in a, in a, in a really like impressive way. And I'm just wondering, do you have like a, um, is there like a story that you tell yourself about you as the leader and this brand and the way that you move through um, difficult times, even if you never expected them, or is it kind of more like an instinctual expression of who you are or something? Um, I feel like one thing that I often come back to is, you know, my belief that family history and past history grounds you. So one thing that has been really exciting is, you know, spending a little bit more time talking to your family, you know, hearing stories, sharing photographs, um, 
and when that happened, you know, people are in their homes, so they're going through things. My aunt recently, I think last week, <clears throat> picked up a picture frame. She wanted to like take the picture out, I think to scan it or maybe change it. And she took it out and like five other ones fell out of childhood photos of my mother and her sisters when they were kids that no one had ever seen before. And it, I think now is the time to like really share those because often you just put them aside and you're like, oh, I'll scan them later. Uh, you know, do something with them later, but to share those memories, a lot of my high school friends and I have been sharing old photos, you know, because everyone's home, so they see them. But also, you know, we had a piece uh, come out of our house in AD, and the couch is made from senior, or is revitalizing the tradition of senior chords, which is a old collegiate tradition. And since then, I'm in this <laughs> email chain with I think there's like four women from Purdue University who have shared with me their chords. And she originally, when the emails came through, they were like, oh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to find my chords. And now it's like, well, I found them and I have all these memories and they're sharing them all with me. And I, I think that is a part of the Bodhi philosophy and my own philosophy is that your history grounds you, it does revitalize you and you can really take that time to look at it right now and you know take the time to go find that thing that you think is in storage but it actually just might be in the closet or you know think about what those objects mean to you and why they have shaped your personal history and what you can do with them uh, you know one of our employees is sending us uh, you know he's cleaning out his house with his mom and he's sending us a bunch of her, his grandmother's tablecloths and he's going to get a bunch of shirts made you know and our clients do that all the time but i think people are getting really excited about the possibility of taking things like from their home and from their own collection and making them useful again and also telling those stories very cool so in a way it's like some of the the strange conditions of this time have like re-energized or even just fed like fed through your filter of what your brand is about just like a bunch of new exciting beautiful stuff pictures fabrics everything all the above yeah i mean i i think it's now we do have time i mean of course a lot of people are still working and some people don't have the ability to work right now but you have time to really you know call up like hear that story from your family and record it or you know scan that letter that you know, you're always scared that you're going to lose, but okay, now just scan it, <laughs> you know, or take a picture of it. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely, like I said, it's really grounding to know that that's there. It's comforting. And it also gives you confidence to want to create your own life. I mean, after talking to a lot of my friends, you know, while we've been here and while they've been at home or, you know, even stuck in New York, it's, okay, well, I, I really want my own life now. You know, I want to create a home. I want to create an environment. I want to create my own family histories. And I, I think that's part of, uh, you know, being human is wanting to create like a, that feeling. Yeah, it's so easy in New York to like, uh, just sort of organize your life around work and, and socializing and going out to the point where you're like never actually really home for more than like, yeah. you know, eight hours to sleep or whatever. And uh, to be able to like have this time to really like focus and reflect and just sort of explore like, you know, your personal archive or whatever, like even just like going through like 
your old uh, like scrapbooks or um, homework assignments from like third grade that you like never threw out for some reason. Has this time like led you to think differently about um, the collection that you were working on or uh, I guess what you were gonna show um, in Paris September? No, in June. I think in June, yeah. Have you thought, I mean, obviously a lot of things have, have changed in terms of how um, everyone's gonna have to present their collections, but have you just like thought about it differently um, and, and what you wanna do and what you wanna say with that collection um, after this time sort of away from the day to day? Yeah, it's it's really hard to conceive of making a collection right now when, well, okay, so to take a step back, our New York factories are still closed until, um, I guess, you know, a week from now, or I think some are going to slowly begin to reopen, but the ones, a lot of them are making masks, so they're not going to reopen to make clothes just yet. Uh, until the lockdowns lifted. And then our factories in India and Peru are also closed. So we haven't technically been able to make physical garments yet, but we have begun to talk about what the collection looks like. And again, you know, it's it's great to be able to see or have the time to look back on past collections and see what's worked and what I really enjoyed making. So that's something, but in all, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if, if there's been a really particular aspect that has, you know, is gonna resonate through, but you know, each collection's inspired by a personal narrative from someone who I have early, a relationship to. So that part isn't going anywhere. So we're just kind of trying to work out how we're going to make clothes at this point, <laughs> you know. Um, of course, our own employees can make them from home, but it's it's they're working on you know a lot of production right now. There's a really interesting like combination of um, I, I think the the force of the conditions of the crisis have been both there's like an acceleration and a culling. So an example of the acceleration would be like uh, uh, really focusing on ecom doesn't sound like that was on your top priority list, but all of a sudden like here it is you've done it. Um, and then the culling for me has been like, uh, people that I've talked to across the board, whether it's, um, other, other designers or like yourself or, um, uh, other people who are in jobs more like mine or corporate CEOs or all that stuff. It's like, everybody's going back to the core thing that only they do or right. that they do the best. So I just really relate to what you're saying about, um, uh, you've really reconnected with that idea or, or some of the some of the things that you love best in retrospect about past collections. Sounds like you've really um, uh, reaffirming your relationship to this idea of past collections being based on people you have a personal relationship with. And there's so much like as all of us as our um, as we move through life and our careers and our our brands and all that stuff as they grow, sometimes we like get excited about this thing over here, or that thing over there, and start sprouting all these new tentacles. But um, it does seem like across the board, people are just like going back to the the, the real core of what they do in a way that, um, I don't know, I guess I'm sure some people are really frustrated with it, but for me and I think the rest of the GQ team, it's been like really clarifying. Like what can we do, what can only we do and how do we, triple down on that. Right, because I mean, like I said, 
it's only been, you know, a couple of years. So two years ago, we were still working out of my apartment and making clothes in my bedroom, <laughs> essentially. So <laughs> it hasn't been that long, you know, so I think what was frustrating is a good word. You know, the, a week after we got here, there were so many emotions, you know, it felt like we were drowning or for me. Um, and I didn't know what to do because I felt like, oh my gosh, we had finally hit a place. You know, I had recently gone through uh, a restructuring of my entire company. We were bringing on people with 10 plus years experience and we were in the interview process. And I was like, oh, we're finally getting away from um, the or, you know, I wanted people in at Bodhi who had more experience than I did. And, and I really wanted people to help guide the brand. And, and so, you know, about a week after we got here, I was like, oh my gosh, it's all gone. You know, everything that we just worked for to get out of this, like, you know, the past couple of years and really become a little bit more professional, I guess, <laughs> or, you know, grow a little bit, uh, you know, strategically better. Um, kind of disappearing and it felt really scary but it is reassuring to know that or to be able to look back and be like okay well we did this with just making it out of my apartment so we can do that if we have to you know people can make clothes from home and they can stay safe that way you know we can we don't have to rely on our factories for you know the the next couple of months but yeah it's an interesting roller coaster i guess yeah <laughs> yeah and it's a good test too of like um how clear are, are you about what the what the what the bodhi project really is right because when all the conditions of the way that you um get to do your thing change can it still come out feeling like you and you alone you know mm -hmm. that was our experience with the june issue of gq where it was like right. you can't can't do shoots all the all the ways that we love to do a photo shoot and all the little tricks that we do use to make things feel like us and the way we book things and the way our reporters work and all that stuff it was just like you can't do any of that but can you still make something that feels like you and only you you know mm -hmm. and that was such a fun challenge in it like um um i think we all have had the opportunity to like um just try to get really clear about what we're trying to say right and i have to say i mean i guess i've already said it but from you it's been clear as a bell clear as ever uh, <laughs> thank you emily i wanted to ask uh the collection that you showed in january was based on your friend benjamin and his shaker upbringing and i had noticed like before that a lot of friends of mine have been sort of rediscovering shaker culture like uh -huh. I have a friend of mine who's like sort of collecting shaker chairs. Uh, and then right. Molly, who's like a GQ writer was telling, she was on the podcast a couple of months ago and was talking about this shaker documentary that she was watching. It was a Ken Burns documentary actually. Um, but I was wondering why you decided it was like the right moment to do a collection based on shaker culture. Okay, so it's kind of funny. It's not, okay, <laughs> he, he has like a really, interesting childhood so he's not actually uh and he didn't grow up in shaker culture he grew up in shaker buildings 
Okay. So it actually was, a, or went to school in Shaker Buildings. So that's the interesting part of his narrative is that it was so removed from him in that it was just, it wasn't a part of his life necessarily, you know, the belief system or anything like that. But it was, he went to a school that was purchased by a Sufi community uh, and it was a Shaker community. It was already an existing Shaker community for, I guess, over a hundred years. And so, uh, gosh, I, I think it, it wasn't necessarily trying to time the collection to launch because of the overall feeling of culture right now. It was more so, I'm so intrigued by Ben and I love the way he wears his clothes. I love his understanding of not only family, but also of objects and life and what it means to live in New York and be from upstate New York and also what it means to be a maker um, and how he identifies with the education system and the education of his childhood and childhood specifically. I love the way that he relates to his childhood and his childhood memories. He has the most hilarious stories. And I think, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really like timing it because, but I agree with you, you know, the shaker, we were, I had jackets in a shaker show uh, curated by Lee Edelcourt. So it definitely is a part of our culture and it might, you know, be a point in time that that's considered a trend per se, but uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't launch that season because of that. It just kind of fell into it. So he grew up going to a school and it was kind of, you know, kind of a hippie school and it was led and run by Shakers who lived there and the buildings, or sorry, Sufis who lived there in the building. I mean, Corporate Lunch is basically a Shaker <laughs> podcast. It was kind of funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what? How does it work when you approach a friend and you're like, "Hi, I want to base my collection on you." Okay, <laughs> this is something. Um, I'm gonna have, need to like, go through your underwear drawer. No, okay, I have insecurity about it because I feel like you know. Of course, I've only done a couple of collections. We've only been around a few seasons, but I have insecurity about it because I feel like. I mean, I can't speak for these people, but I feel like they expect, um, oh God, it's such a weird thing because I'm doing all this work and the way that Aaron puts it, cause he always like tell, you know, he told Ben like, Ben, don't worry. She's going to have like a couple conversations with you, but then that's it. You know, like she's not gonna like continue to like ask you about things. And for me, I feel like if someone's doing a collection, on me, I'd want them to like talk to me all the time and go through every, and I'd show them every little thing. But when I work, you know, on building the collection through conversation, and that really is what it is. It's building a collection through conversation. So I sit down and I talk to them about their life and it's like, just like having any conversation, but it's different because it's the way that I feel like I have a connection to someone. So I tend to do collections or I've only done collections on people who I have a connection to about um, sentimentality of material goods. 
And I think that has a lot to do with it. It's, it's people that for some reason or another consider themselves collectors or are known to be collectors of, you know, it could be baseball cards or it could be quilts. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something of value, but it has to be something that has value intrinsic to, uh, a, I guess it's, it's part of childhood and it's, it's like a love of childhood and a love of uh, educational experience, but also of private experience. So how these people feel, I don't know. I feel like sometimes they're like, oh, that, that was it? Okay, this is the collection? Or, <laughs> I mean, of course, they're probably really excited about it, but I, I always am like, oh, yeah, I did a collection on you, and that was that. And now moving on. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it feels weird because it's then, it's like over, you know? But you want to continue the collect the conversation about their life and um but it is funny that with especially with fashion you know it starts and ends and when the next when the collection ends the other collection has already started it's kind of a it's not really the same as well i guess it is the same as writing a book or doing a movie (laughs) yeah yeah it feels abrupt in a way you know because it's like okay now here you know we showed in june and then now on to the next person. <laughs> yeah, n- new muse. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. But it's no, not. But I, I mean, I, it's it's really important for me to keep in constant communication, right? With a lot. Obviously, these people are my friends, but to keep in constant communication because it's forever inspiring. And you know, I already want to return to Homer and return to Todd Alden. You know, because a lot of because the collections move so fast, it's also you don't even get to get deeper into certain histories and a lot of times they'll find more things because they'll get excited about going through you know their personal files and archives and photos that they'll find more after we're done and i'm sure there's like ideas and silhouettes and all kinds of things that one person adds to the kind of repertoire of what you do that then gets pulled through into future seasons even if those future seasons are now inspired by somebody new i mean even just from our perspective i could see some of that yeah and different parts of your life you know um Mm -hmm. there could be a whole collection just based on someone's teenage years versus their childhood years or you know their current life and that's that's another part of it is uh you know what are the things that you were collecting as a kid that inform life now or did they really only inform your teenage life well, i spent my early 20s collecting Bodhi jackets yeah. so um you know. <laughs> when you're ready to do a collection that just kind of folds in on itself you can call, you can call sam. <laughs> well after seeing sam your, your family's floor i was like oh gosh <laughs> i have to see yeah, the, his the house. it's like kitchen. painted with fish or something nobody in my family has ever Nobody in my family has ever fished. The trout and, kitchen. Uh, but our kitchen has like 46 painted trout on the floor and the walls and stuff. It's wild. <laughs> it's so amazing. Emily, I feel like your uh, AD feature actually like totally changed the way I think about kitchens. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so this like the, the like old Cape Cod kitchen like this idea of the like unrenovated vacation house kitchen as like 
formerly being like the family kind of like, oh yeah, but I guess like we're gonna have to make like the fancy pasta in the like sad vacation kitchen. Now it's like all about the sad vacation kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have like a really hideous retro kitchen in my apartment in Brooklyn. Like it's all yellow and it's been like not touched since 1981 and like all this hideous wood paneling. Like it looks like an like an old Volvo actually. Um, and now I'm like, I have the best <laughs> kitchen in the world. I've got a bony kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so Aaron and and Ben, they do such an incredible job of concepting. You know, I, I talk to them, obviously, about what I love. And, and that kitchen is so reminiscent of Cape Cod. You know, they design the entire house. And it's, I don't know, it's funny to see it in New York. You know, some people's responses were, oh my gosh, is this like original to New York? And to me, I'm like, oh, it's, it's so Cape Cod though, <laughs> you know, but, but it, yeah, it's really cool. They have, um, you know, that really particular blue color that you can find in, in New York for the countertops and the bands that you stick the pot tops in so they don't fall you know instead of hanging mm -hmm. them or putting them mm -hmm. below you hang the pots and you put the pot tops you know through the band of wood and the entire house is like covered in douglas fir and uh, it's really amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, yeah they did a really beautiful job but it, it's true you know my parents came over <laughs> they were like not my mom but my dad was like what <laughs> <laughs> Emily, you put you you guys designed or you know Green River Project designed this and you guys did this to a new or you know to an empty space yeah. it's kind of funny because it, it's an electric stove you know we don't have a gas stove so it's electric stove and even being here uh Aaron's brother was like oh gosh we have an electric stove at this you know rental that we're staying in <laughs> can't cook anything and I'm like yeah we know that <laughs> we have one in our room. um but, but it's, Sam, the 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 modern toasters that we bought for Emily yeah, Rachel, damn. we're just gonna have to find. We're gonna have to give them to somebody else. <laughs> Neither of them wants those things. Yeah, I love it. It's a it's a really cool space, and I hope you guys can come see it. You know, when this is all, yeah, <laughs> the lockdowns lifted. Now that it's been in AD, does Aaron just want to like yank it all out and start over? New idea. Like, or the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> That's the craziest <laughs> thing. He's like, well, okay, so now that's done. No, but it was, there was a time, you know, cause he, he's constantly, you know, getting inspired and designing and changing um, our, our house as well. So I, I would come in to our apartment and the entire wall would be like a totally different color. <laughs> and I'm, I'm definitely someone who does not like change. So I have like kind of a hard time with change. Uh, so I would be like, oh my gosh, why, why would you do that? Or anytime he, you know, proposes an idea of design, like redesigning something, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to paint this brick or I'm going to build, you know, and design this closet here. And I would be like, well, but it's perfect how it is, you know, but, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I love that apartment and I love where we are. Um, but it's, everything is changing now. So. No idea. I was meaning to ask you, Emily, yeah, sure what, is. what is your home scent of choice? Because that apartment is like one of the best smelling places I've ever been. 
thank you. Um, okay, well, we, gosh, Aaron found oud, which in India, we wanted something. So when you arrive in India, the smell of the hotels, it really fully takes you over. You know, it's like all encompassing and it kind of stays on your clothes forever. And it's such a contrast to like the thick heat of outside. So that was where, you know, a lot of the scent ideas came from. And um, oud is one that we burn all the time. I think Diptyque makes the best oud. And that's also what's in the store. And we also, you know, I love tuberose. Um, my team really did not like <laughs> tuberose, but I, I, I love burning that. that. Diptyque also has a great tuberose candle. But those are two Tuberose that... is like, uh, it's like cilantro. It's very polarizing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. See, I, I didn't know. I can't eat cilantro at all, but I love <laughs> really can't. Some, some people really can't deal with tuberose. And then I think other people, myself included, I've always suspected that the, these two things are related and that like some, for some people, cilantro tastes like soap. Other people yeah. are totally fine with it. And other people like me, it makes them like crazy with happiness like if i smell really good cilantro i want to like put it in my face no way and tuberose is the same yeah some <laughs> right, people well, I, are disgusted yeah. by it and some people have like a deranged attraction to it see i don't i don't mind the smell of cilantro but i can't the taste is insane to me and, it, and yeah. people say soap it doesn't taste like soap or i guess that's not what i would think of it it just takes over the entire like more than any mm. other herb it takes over the entire meal and I can't do it but I do have this feeling towards palo santo palo santo makes me feel like I'm having like I can't breathe like if it's in a store I can't be in that store it's like a really really intense um it smells like um like really thick to me I don't know what? Yeah, the entire say, neighborhood of Nolita is off yeah. limits to you. <laughs> you like shopping online. <laughs> I don't know why. It's yeah, it's something I really can't. It's the best part of every episode. Mm -hmm. Just gotta let it sink in. Gotta <laughs> let it all sink in. The Palo Santo is sifting over. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wafting through the pod, through mm -hmm. the Zoom. Emily, it's so good to see you and talk to you. Yeah, you guys too. I'm so glad to see everyone's healthy and safe and feeling okay <laughs> yeah feeling okay now and maybe less so yeah maybe not in an, an hour, hour but <laughs> maybe yeah. like weirdly high two and a half hours from now and we'll just yeah. ride this roller coaster wherever it takes us thanks so much for joining emily it's always a pleasure yeah, thank you one of the rare repeat guests that we've had in 96 episodes but i can't wait to have you back on uh hopefully in the studio in the in the physical studio, yeah. not the virtual one. <laughs> right. I just I hope I'm in a greenhouse next time. Yeah, you got to build one. Are you upstate? Yeah. You got to build one. Uh, I'm in Vermont. Oh yeah, Vermont. Yeah, Rachel was like awful wood paneling, and I was like careful about wood paneling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People keep asking me if I'm in a sauna. No way. Like, like yeah, just taking some heat while we while we do this Zoom. <laughs> All right, guys, that was fun. All right, I'll talk to you soon.